The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Uh, let me invite you now to open the scriptures. Uh, we're opening to the New Testament, to 2 Timothy 3. It's on page 996. If you need a Bible from the rack in front of you, do grab one. Uh, or the other Bibles, pages, numbers are there. Uh, let me uh, encourage you to open as we are going to read this scripture, but we're also uh, beginning uh, our new sermon series for the summer, Hard Questions. So, as you're going to 2 Timothy 3, uh, I'll pray just here at the beginning, and then we'll introduce this new series. So, as you're turning there, let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the Lord's Day and the privilege that it is to be gathered together as your people, identified with the name of Jesus and identified with one another. Lord, we rejoice uh, to be called a Christian today, and so uh, we pray that we might know uh, the blessings that are ours and stored up in Jesus Christ for us today. But Lord, we also need to be a people mindful of your truth for every age and era, every circumstance and trial. And so, Lord, we turn to the Scriptures believing that here you speak to us the word of truth. So, Father, as we hear this morning in the Scriptures, uh, would you please speak your word to us? And by your Spirit, convict us of the truth of it, and convince us of the truth of it, and cause us to walk in the ways of your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be reading from 2 Timothy 3 at verse 10, uh, through the end of that chapter, under the heading, All Scripture is Breathed Out by God. Hear now the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3 at verse 10. This is the Word of God. You, however have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you... Continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work." Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. So do keep your Bibles open there in 2 Timothy 3. Uh, We begin uh, this week this series called Hard Questions. Hard questions. These types of questions that are hard in in one of two contexts. I'm trying to be clear about this from the start and, and mix them both together. They're hard questions both in the context of our asking the questions meaning as Christian believers asking difficult questions about our faith. But we also want to ask hard questions that might be asked by our neighbors or our friends, our family or our co-workers who don't share our faith commitments, but who are somewhere on the spectrum from seeking to skeptic and asking us hard questions that are difficult for us to answer that they are asking. So both Christians that are asking difficult questions questions about the faith that they believe, and non-Christians or seekers who are asking questions about the faith that they do not believe in, but either way, hard questions. 
And we're doing this with the Apostle Peter's encouragement in mind to always have an answer to a hard question. Because I, I know that you have had the same experience that I've had from time to time where someone asks you a question and you're just stumped and you don't know what to say and you feel a real sense of inadequacy and almost an inadequacy that leads to shame in that because you feel like you don't know the answer that you've somehow failed the questioner and maybe even the Lord Jesus himself. We don't we don't want to live in that place where we're feeling uncertain or perhaps feeling ashamed of these questions. That doesn't mean that we're going to be able to answer every question that ever has been asked. But we are going to pick out a few and survey them and engage with them, both questions that we ask ourselves of our own faith and questions of our unbelieving neighbors as well. Now, this is important for several reasons. And I just want to acknowledge to you that this is front-loaded today with some real introductory-type material that gets us in the right frame of mind for asking these questions in the first place. This is important because those who are paid to be cultural observers, but also those who are uh, uh, amateur cultural observers, have concluded, whether or not that we are entirely there or not, Western civilization is moving to a time period called post-Christian. Post-Christian. A post-Christian society is historically based in Christian ideas and follows simplified Christian values, but rejects the authority of Christianity and does not consider it to be the basis of its ethics, morals, or cultural uh, realities. The Christian language and expression that once permeated a society soon becomes rare, superficial, and then absent in a post-Christian society. The irony of this, of course, is that a post-Christian society will oftentimes selectively claim virtues that are rooted in the Christian faith, like equity and justice and mercy, while selectively rejecting the very source of truth that makes those things a reality. A post-Christian society is schizophrenic about itself and doesn't know where it comes from, but is insistent about what it's not. Listen carefully to this. In the name of progress, so-called progress, or intellectual superiority, or generational ignorance, a post-Christian society is one that moves from assuming Christian values to then ignoring Christian values to then resenting Christian values to then repressing Christian values and inevitably to persecuting Christian values. There is an inevitable decline that is associated with the regress of a society as it claims a post-Christian status. Friends, if that is true, if it is true that the world that we know, which many of you have said, I don't even recognize the world that I live in anymore, if you know that experience, if that's true, then we cannot take for granted or make assumptions about the pillar convictions that our friends, neighbors, co-workers, peers, fellow students, fellow teammates have about the world and the way they see it and the way we see the world. Pair this with a rising biblical illiteracy leading to ignorance and apathy. People don't know what the Bible says and they don't care what the Bible says. It is very much like the way Mark Twain described the definition of a literary classic. A classic is something that everyone wants to have read but is not interested in actually reading it. 
That's the Bible today. They may be interested, but they're certainly not going to actually read it. So what we want to begin with with this hard question series is ask this question. Is the Bible relevant? Is the Bible relevant for today? Does it actually matter? And you might say, what a silly question. But actually I would say, that's the question, isn't it? It is the question to ask as a Christian believer, engaging with our world, becoming increasingly uh, post-Christian, is does the Bible have any relevance today? To answer that, we're going to turn to the Bible in a way that is honest and clear about our Christian presuppositions. A presupposition is what you bring into the topic that you are already believing and convinced of. And just because you have a presupposition doesn't mean you don't have to defend it, but you should acknowledge it with some sense of intellectual honesty to say, this is what I am bringing into this conversation. The Christian faith comes from a point of reference, assuming the authority of Scripture. And so when the question is asked of the Christian believer about the relevance of the Bible, we turn to the Bible without shame. And from 2 Timothy 3, Paul is writing to young Timothy. Timothy is a young pastor on the island of Crete, and Paul is commissioning for ministry. And of that ministry, and there's lots to say in, the, in 1 and 2 Timothy, but I want to draw out something here from you about the way Paul talks about the Scriptures to his young ministry protege, Timothy, and really something significant that he says about Timothy's own rearing, his own childhood. Notice this description in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12. Paul talks about the fact that all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Verse 13 speaks about evil people and imposters going from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so pause for a moment and, and just acknowledge to yourself that if you're a person who is perpetually convinced that the sky is falling, the sky is not falling more than it was in the past. It's just that the objects that are falling from the sky take on different shapes, but they all fall at the same velocity. The sky is not falling more or at a faster rate than it ever has. Hear it from Paul himself. Things are going from bad to worse, but that was true 2,000 years ago. And what is the case for the Christian believer in the midst of this reality is Paul says, You, Timothy, verse 14, you continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says to young Timothy, Timothy, you have been reared on Christian nurture from the sacred writings, namely the Scriptures, from which you have learned the truth of God leading to faith and salvation through Jesus Christ. But I want to make an observation to us here now. That Paul is saying to young Timothy, Timothy, you've known this from your childhood. And you and I already live in a world in which generationally we cannot say this and make an assumption about the majority of adults in the United States being acquainted with the Scriptures. They just don't know. It could be totally foreign. Now some people wonder, how does this happen generationally? It happens similar to the infinite regress societally and culturally that when one faith makes assumptions about the Christian faith, the faith that is assumed in one generation will be denied by the next generation 
and then be entirely lost to a third generation. It only really takes three generations for a faith that used to be central to life to become totally absent. That there really could be, and some of you might be amazed by this, a generation for whom the name of Jesus is totally and 100% unknown. Even your neighbors, even your friends, and your friends' children and grandchildren. So what should we say about this? Paul says to Timothy, from childhood you have known. And you know what? Many of us were raised with this notion, singing, quoted in Sunday school, quoted again here, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that line, for the Bible tells me so, has held a sense of weight and authority. But anymore, it seems that it is not a given. Similar to how you as a child bucked under the notion of your parents saying, do it because I said so. And that was an insufficient logic for you to accept what they said. Now, if you knew what was good for you, you would. But you chafed under it, didn't you? Because you said, well, why? I want to defer to a source of authority that's outside of you to say, why should I do what you say? And people import that line of logic to the Christian faith where because the Bible tells me so isn't actually good enough anymore for why I should believe what the Bible says. Because the Bible tells me so. And interestingly, the data shows us this. According to the most recent State of Theology survey by Ligonier Ministries, which is the publishing ministry that puts out our Table Talk magazine, it's the ministry of R.C. Sproul that many of us are familiar with, Ligonier Ministries does routinely what they call a State of Theology survey every two years that tries to trace the religious commitments and patterns of American adults according to the various ways that they identify themselves, whether as evangelical Christians or mainline Christians or non-religious people or whatever the case might be, and they respond to various statements with a spectrum of agree strongly, agree unsure, disagree, disagree strongly of these various statements. And listen to one statement that they're offered in this State of Theology survey. And it goes like this. The Bible, like all sacred writings contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not actually true. That's the statement, and people are asked to either agree strongly, or agree, or uncertain, or disagree, or disagree strongly. In 2022, the statement, the Bible, like all sacred writings, contains helpful accounts of ancient myths, but is not actually true. In 2022, 53% of American adults agree with that. Strongly or strongly agree with this statement, and another 11% say they're not sure, which means 64% of American adults, according to the Ligonier survey, are unwilling to identify a commitment in the truth of Scripture. 64%. And the trend has only increased, actually, because in 2014, the percentage was that 41% did not believe the Bible was true, now in less than a decade, up over 60%. My neighbors and yours your co-workers, your friends. And this is interesting, but also a bit challenging since it's a national statistic because uh, you also might be interested to know that this Ligonier survey actually has a, a data set capability to be used locally. Ligonier Ministries makes it possible to localize the statistics and offer the survey to a unique data group. For example, you could send the data survey only to adults in Lower Rock Island County. That if we were to extend the Ligonier State of Theology survey, perhaps, 
to Rockridge School District, how interesting would that be? To find out if our community is actually trending in the direction of a post-Christian nation or not. Now, if this is interesting, and we're getting to this question of relevance, but first we have to identify this reality, that this question reminds us of a distinction that is often made uh, by academics uh, between macroculture and microculture. You may say it's a sociology lecture or a sermon. A macroculture, okay, is what you see on Facebook, YouTube, newspapers, on blogs, and uh, news media. Macroculture is what we're identifying, fundamentally carrying the post-Christian energy that is itself a self-sustaining echo chamber, as it seems that everybody agrees that the Christian faith is something of a dinosaur reality that we need to move on from. Macroculture is loudly beating the drum of the reality of a post-Christian society. But microculture, microculture is a different thing. Microculture is formed by the direct experience and relationship of face-to-face conversations with real people, not talking head news media people. Rather than the digital distance, a real person. The uniqueness of microculture is that a person may have secular convictions that aligns with the broader macroculture, but is still willing to send their child to the church's VBS program. The distinction reminds us that we are not going to get the attention of the major news outlets and shift the tides of cultural narratives from our outpost here in Edgington, but we can gain the hearing of our neighbors. We can gain the hearing of our coworkers, the ones that we actually talk to when they hear loudly from the national macroculture outlets that Christians are like this, it's helpful if they actually know a Christian and can talk to them and find out what Christian believers are actually like, what they actually believe, and find out, is it true what they say about you in the news media? So what about the relevance of the Bible? It brings us back to this main topic, really. Do we have something meaningful to say that is worth paying attention to in a 21st century accelerating post-Christian context? The answer is yes, of course we do. But why should anybody care? Why should a person care what the Bible says in contrast to quoting from the Iliad or the Odyssey or Shakespeare? Isn't it all just literature after all? Anyway, what is the relevance of the Bible? Three things. One, the Bible is written by God. Secondly, the Bible is all about Jesus. And third, the Bible is for you. The Bible is written by God, all about Jesus, and for you. Those three things. First of all, the Bible is written by God. You know, many people say the Bible is just human writings, just human wisdom, advice, good literature. At the end of the day, it's just a book. It's just the product of men to which we should concede. You know what? You're right. The Bible is written by men. We concede this. The Bible is written across three continents. Three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek, using three dozen authors across diverse backgrounds, physicians and kings and shepherds and fishermen, using their unique knowledge and personality to write 66 different books across 1,500 years 
of world history is the collection of books that we call the canon of Scripture. But do you know, it's not just written by one person who's considered to be the spiritual authority. And so the Christian faith and the Christian Scriptures are distinguished from, for example, Mormonism, where you have just Joseph Smith, or Islam, where you just have the views of the prophet Muhammad. The Scriptures are a collection of writings. And while we acknowledge that this 66 books with their three dozen multidisciplinary authors across 1,500 years tells one story, totally consistently across every single page, one coherent story because though the Bible is written by the pen of human authors, it is ultimately written by God Himself. God speaks His Word. Look again at verse 16 as Paul reminds Timothy of the divine origin of the sacred writings as God's own Word. God speaks. All Scripture is breathed out by God. That just as God in the opening pages of Genesis merely speaks and creates... He does not create from pre-existing material, but by the divine authority of His sovereign voice speaks and things come into being. So too does God speak by divine inspiration and through His Holy Spirit cause human authors to record His Word for us without error, is what we believe about the Bible, through prophets and kings and ultimately through His Son and then through the apostles who wrote down the words in order that we might know them. We believe that God is the author of divine Scripture ultimately. That's what we mean when we say that the Bible is inspired. It is the very breath of God. All Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is breathed out by God Himself. The Bible is the Word of God. And if the Creator of the universe speaks, shouldn't we be wise to listen? If the One who made you speaks to you, wouldn't you be wise to pay attention? And not only that He speaks, but also that in His speaking, He has something to say. A main point, in fact. What is the main point of the Bible? What is the Bible all about? You know, some people think the Bible is simply a collection of fables, like myths, Aesop's fables with a turn of phrase and a moral lesson at the end. Or it's like a rule book. It's just a collection of do's and do nots to toe the line and follow the rules. Or some people think the Bible is merely an instruction book. How to assemble and keep things working and how to fix things when they're broken. How to install and how to use and continue in operation. But you know what? All those things conclude... If the Bible is just a bunch of morals or rules or instructions, if you believe that, then you believe the Bible is all about you. You believe the Bible is all about you and your life and how to have you have a better life and make your life work. Ultimately, all those views conclude that the Bible is all about me, but friends, the Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. The word that God speaks is a word that is entirely about Jesus Christ. In fact, think about the fact that we have four gospel accounts, varied perspectives telling us the same things about the Lord Jesus Christ, about His life and His ministry and His teachings and His actions and how those actions have relevance for you and your life and makes claims upon you and your life. He is the one that is promised in the Old Testament and revealed in the New Testament. You know, Jesus believes that the entire Bible is about Him. 
Because in one of the resurrection narratives in Luke 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with two disciples. And in order to help them understand who he is, it says he goes to Moses and the prophets and teaches them the things concerning himself. Meaning he opens up the Old Testament and has a Bible study with these people to say, the Bible is all about me, Jesus says. The Bible is all about me. The whole Bible is about Jesus. And if that is true, that means that the Bible is relevant for us because only Jesus offers hope and salvation to everyone who looks to Him by faith and trust in what He has done, who trust in His life and His death and resurrection. I think the thing that is most interesting, whether you are a seeker or a skeptic or a long-seasoned Christian believer, is that everything that Jesus says stakes a claim upon your life. It's just a question of whether or not you will regard him to be true in the claim that he makes. But he has something to say to you no matter who you are. And so Jesus' life and words and ministry are massively relevant because we need what he has done. The Bible is relevant because it's all about Jesus and only Jesus offers hope and life and authenticity in a time when everybody's desperate for it. Everybody's looking for meaning and identity and significance and authenticity. And when they're looking in all these varied places, they're looking to satisfy a longing that only Jesus can provide. Because only Jesus can make sense of your life. But that's exactly what he does. People who need sense made of their lives need Jesus. Not only is the Bible written by God and all about Jesus, but thirdly, it's also it's for us. Is the Bible relevant today? Of course it is because it's for you. The Bible is like a, a set of glasses. I'm the only person in my family that doesn't wear corrective lenses or contacts. But I still understand the illustration, isn't it? that by way of these lenses, you will have your vision corrected. Because you, see, you can't see right without it. Things far off are fuzzy, or things too near are fuzzy, and you can't see it just straight. And you can't make sense of the world that you're looking at. The reformer John Calvin said, all of the Bible is like a corrective lens. When we ask questions like, where did the universe come from? And what's it for? And what does it all matter? And where did I come from? And what's the meaning of my life? And what's true and what's right and what's beautiful and good? And where is life going? All these things. The Scriptures orient us to the order of the world. Think about this. Why is it that you feel the way you do about the things in the world? Positively, negatively, good, bad, indifferent. Why do you feel the way that you do? Why do we grieve loss at funerals? Why does the unbeliever feel sad? Who says that this is bad? Unless there is an objective, moral compass that says, this is good, this is bad. This is true, this is false. Morality, the way you look at the world and understand it and navigate your world. The Bible orients us to the order of the world because we were born and made and created in the image of God with it stamped upon us to make sense of the world that He has made, that He has made us to live in and make sense of. The Bible teaches us that there is truth. The Bible teaches us that there is a way that we ought to live. So why do you believe what you believe? Whatever it is that you believe, why do you believe it? And when you answer the question, you are staking a case of authority. I believe it for this reason. What source of authority do you have? 
Is that source of authority reliable? Is that source of authority entirely subjective, meaning it's just your personal opinion? Or is it grounded in objective truth that is true throughout the ages, no matter how pre-Christian, post-Christian the society actually is? If you think that your truth is just your truth, as people so often say, then your truth is entirely subjective and it's one person's truth claim against another and we have no way to reason out who's actually right about anything. What kind of world is that? Where we don't actually know that it's good to obey the speed limit. That it is bad to murder. What kind of world is that if we don't have a compass? If there is not objective truth, but the Bible is given for us that we might have objective truth to be a north star for a moral compass or to be, as a a British author C.S. Lewis says, true truth. Actual truth in the midst of a world that is staking its own subjective truth claims. There the Bible stands as given for us to make sense of the world. Shows us who God is and what He requires of us. And the Bible is for us as manifestly relevant because the Bible explains the most important subject of your life. Which is your relationship to God Himself. Redemption. This is universally and perpetually applicable to all humanity because it strikes at the very root of what it means to be human. To live in a world where there is both life and death and joy and sorrow and pain and pleasure. How do we make sense of all of it? What's it for? God has given the Scriptures for us. So these realities, the Bible is relevant because it is written by God, reveals Jesus Christ to us. It's all about Christ. And it is given for us that we might make sense of the world in accord with the ways God has made it and in the purpose of revealing Jesus Christ that we might know Him. The Bible is relevant for us. But again, I imagine from time to time you feel, as I often have, or perhaps increasingly so, that you feel like you can't actually talk about any of these things because it all just ends up in an argument. Everybody ends up mad at each other and walking away all huffy and puffy from the dinner table or from the water cooler or whatever it is. You can't actually talk. Next thing you know, you want to have a meaningful conversation and you feel like you're sparring in a boxing match. You might say to yourself, I don't want to fight. I just want to talk. You know, as Christian believers, one of the most important things that we can do in an increasingly post-Christian society is ask good questions. You say, I'm I'm interested in what you believe. Why do you believe it? And before we launch into our dissertation on what we believe and why it's right, in, in, in a bit of hubris, maybe we should ask somebody else to say, tell me what you think. What do you believe about this or that? Next thing you know, you're not having a boxing match. You're actually having a conversation. You're actually talking which is something that seems increasingly rare in such a hostile society, but you're actually hearing somebody out and asking good questions, engaging that person to do a few key things, to open up their assumptions, and to be honest about the things that they are presupposing and asking them to examine those presuppositions a bit and invite some reflection about not just what they believe, but why. And if it's coherent consistent if they can make sense of it or not. 
as Christian believers engaging a secular culture, we must be well equipped to ask good questions and also to be prepared, not just to receive the questions, but ask them ourselves. And yes, to lead people to this reality that indeed the Bible is relevant because it is written by God. It's revealing Jesus Christ in its fullness and it is for us. You know what you can't do as a Christian believer in the world today? Well, you could choose to do so, but it's not wise. You could choose to say, you know what? I don't like it. I'm afraid. I don't understand it. And so I'm just going to hide away over here. Put my head in the sand and just try to ignore everything. Do you remember what Jesus says? He says, let your light shine. The darkness can't get more dark. You understand. Darkness is the absence of light. You can't get more dark once you get dark. But the dark becomes less dark when the light shines. And Jesus says, you are the light. With the convictions that you have about God's word and the truth that it reveals about me, Jesus says, and the hope that it offers to all people. Is the Bible relevant today? You better believe so. As relevant as it ever has been. So Christian believer, believe with all your heart and let your light shine because the Bible is God's word to all the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would equip us with that word to strengthen us and bless us and equip us to be those who are to carry forth the light of Jesus Christ into dark places, not afraid, not ashamed, but willingly and joyfully asserting the truth that you have revealed to the world and the fullness of that truth in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Lord, so I pray that you would bless especially those Christian believers who find themselves timid, afraid, or skittish. Lord, to give us the confidence that comes from your Holy Spirit to bless us with this, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.